They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is Next Gen On Mission with Shane Pruitt. Hi, friends. Shane Pruitt here, National Next Gen Evangelism Director, and welcome to another episode of the Next Gen On Mission podcast. We are so excited for you to hang out with us, and I am thrilled about today's guest as we talk about pro-life in the next generation. It's a friend of mine, Benjamin Watson. Ben Watson is a just now officially a retired NFL football player, played 16 seasons in the National Football League. Uh, he's a Super Bowl champion, an author, a communicator, a husband, and father. So welcome to the Next Gen on Mission podcast, Benjamin. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, good to be with you. Thanks. Absolutely. Hey, Ben, before we get too spiritual, uh, what's one fun fact we should know about you that we may not already know? Um, one fun fact. Well, let's see here. Um, fun fact. I am, um, people find this hard to believe, but I'm actually an introvert. No. And you mentioned communicating and being a football player. You think that all those guys are just you know outgoing and everything. And I, I, I do it, but I really would rather be um, in my bedroom, uh, reading, uh, or taking a nap, honestly. And I think part of taking the nap might be because I have seven children, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's one thing I like to do. So, you know, that, that's a problem for some people. I'd rather, I'm a homebody, um, you know, rather than be at home chilling. Yeah, man, I get it. <laughs> hey, that's true. You know, you and I, what, I guess probably about six, seven weeks ago at the time of this recording, you and I both spoke at the same event together. And, uh, man, I was yeah. just so impressed by how kind you were to everyone and, and took pictures with people that wanted it and your autographed. And, and so that is surprising to me that you're an inter- introvert because you were so kind and, and nice exhausted. and communicative. <laughs> I was exhausted afterwards. I mean, done. You, I used all the sand in the hourglass. Yeah, I get it. Done. I get it. Hey, I tell you, you know, I have uh, five kiddos. And so I always joke about having a large family, except for when I'm around you. I just keep my mouth quiet, man, yeah. because I'm still trying. <laughs> trying to catch up to you. <laughs> I know. Take your time, bro. Take your time. You got it. Hey, hey Ben, I always love to um, ask this question to, to start us off, um, and it's so fun to hear all the different responses, but what do we need to know about the next generation, young adults, college students, uh, teenagers that are coming up? What do we need to know about them? Um, well, I think we need to understand that they, they were us not too long ago. Um, a lot of times we think about the next generation as these kids that, these kids this, man, they don't understand this. And when you think um, really over the course of your life, put yourself in their shoes. What what was important to you? Uh, what did you know? What did you think about the world around you? I think you know having that sort of understanding will um, affect how we address them um, as not being uh, something to be pitied or, or just ignorant kids, but actually kids who are going to grow into adults are going to be the next leaders, and many of them already are leading in their own way. Um, so so I, think, I think one of the biggest things, that, at least for me, being that I'm, I guess, current gen, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of next gen, is, is how I approach the next generation, um, not forgetting um, really that that was me not very long ago. Yeah, man, such a good word. Benjamin, I know that your heart is um, the topic pro-life. Um, when 
I mentioned the event that you and I spoke at not too long ago. And uh, after you and I both spoke, uh, they did a, a private uh, screening of a documentary that uh, we'll talk about closer to the end of the podcast. And you invited me to go see that. And, and, uh, and wow, I was just so uh, moved, convicted, motivated, encouraged all at the same time. So talking about that, what is pro-life? What does it mean to be pro-life? Big picture. Well, I think I think the term means a lot for a lot of different people. Um, actually, the term pro-life was not a, a a very old one. I believe it came around in around the '80s, and it was really tied to a few political campaigns. That um, we don't need to go down that bunny trail. But um, the term, even pro-life in and of itself, means a lot of different things. For some people, it is about politics, and it's about how they vote, who they vote for. Um, for other people, it's who they vote against. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no matter what, that's who they vote against. For some people, it's tied to racist ideology, um, things of those sorts of images. For other people, it's about you know uh, faith and it's about Christianity. It's about Imago Dei, you know, being in the image of God. Yeah. Um, it, it has it has a very very broad meaning, and I think that that is a <clears throat> can be a good thing. But I think you know when it comes to the, our unity as believers, but also as Americans, it can be problematic sometimes. Um, so I'll speak from my perspective. Um, for me, pro-life means being an individual, which I am, who advocates and cares about life in all of its stages, uh, forms, uh, complexions, um, economic statuses, uh, you name it. Just being someone that treasures life um, and realizes that life is a gift and that we are all created in God's image, so we should be protected and honored as such. Whether you are um, from one area of the country or another area of the world, uh, whether I, I uh, believe your ideology or your religion or not, there's certain respect that all humans should have by the mere fact that the Bible says that God breathed life into Adam. Mm -hmm. And so unlike all the other creatures on earth, God got his hands dirty with us, yep. and God was personal with his creation. And so to be pro-life means that the, the, the life at its earliest stages, you know, in, at a month into, into its growth and development, or nine months into the growth and development, or 90 years, should be, should be protected. And my goal is to do things to protect that life and advocate for that life, to have the most fullest, abundant life that one can possibly have on this side of heaven. Yeah, that's good, Benjamin. And thank you so much for explaining that holistically in such a practical way. And I think that's one of the most educational pieces, especially for the evangelical churches, is that pro-life is a bigger uh, view than just being anti-abortion. You know, I think typically when people yeah. hear pro-life, they think anti-abortion. They do. And, and that is, and that's part of it. And, yeah. and I think you know, that's why I said it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And part of the part of the confusion or uh, um, hurt that some people carry is for those who say that they are pro-life in their mind, as you said, saying pro-birth, but they don't feel uh, love from them later on in their lives. Mm -hmm. And some of that is some of that is is, uh, is just simply not true. Some of it's made up. But in any in any event, if someone feels that way. It's important to address their feeling whether whether it's it's actually true or not 
and, and I think, you know, when you talk about specifically evangelicals, like you said, um, there's an idea that is simply pro-birth, where I know plenty of evangelicals, people who consider themselves to be evangelical, who um, take care of the widow, take care of the orphan, take care of um, the resident alien, take care of the mother after she's had an unplanned pregnancy, has given birth to a baby that was an unplanned pregnancy and kind of walked with her. So again, there's a lot of complexity in all of this, uh, but but for me, and I think for the next generation, I would encourage them to to take on a a, a, a larger whole life whole life ethic, as opposed to what we may consider a pro life ethic. If they want to say they're pro life, that's fine, but to, to look wider um, and, and have that be an entire full whole life ethic instead of uh, politically just pro life. Yeah, that's so good. And so, so Benjamin, in light of exactly what you're saying, in light of that, how should we communicate pro-life to the next generation? You know, you, you mentioned a while ago, it's not just a political issue. I love that. So what should we be communicating to the next generation in light of pro-life? <clears throat> well, I, I think you don't even need to, to me, well, answer the couple, I'll answer this one. <laughs> um, for me, um, the, the most effective way to communicate pro-life is to communicate the gospel. Yeah. When you, when you communicate the gospel, you don't have to say pro-life. Mm. Um, Jesus didn't use the term pro-life, you know, obviously, but he was what we would call pro-life. Yep. He was pro-eternal life. Yeah. He was pro-whole life. He's sitting there with um, the, the women, woman with an issue of blood. He's sitting there with the prostitute. He's there with the tax collector. He's he's there talking to the Pharisees. He's he's there. I mean, you go through scripture. He's with you know the people who were outsiders as well as those who you know were accepted. And you know when we teach people the gospel, meaning we teach them the the deity, the death, the, death, the resurrection of Christ. We teach them the importance of that, but not only going there, but also starting in the beginning of scripture, where life began we can't help but develop a whole pro-life ethic. When we simply insert pro-life into American culture um, as, as this entity that we should just be on the side of it, sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. because there's no base there. And so with the next generation um, who I'm speaking to or, or anybody who has influence over the next generation, uh, I, I would encourage you to start at the bottom and not the top of the tower. Mm. Because when you start at the bottom, then then they have the foundation to really comprehend and, and pick through the weeds of simply pro-life because this is my tribe and it gives me something to fight for and pro-life in that, you know, I, I really do care about um, this child that's in the womb and I care about this mother and her plight yeah, and and hey, and, mo- and most statistics show you know, most of abortions are for convenience. You mm-hmm. know, convenience meaning either finances. Um, you know, it, a baby w- would uh, interrupt an education, or just not ready for pregnancy. And, and you know, those are convenience issues. Yeah, that doesn't mean that that she isn't worth caring about. Yeah, that doesn't right. mean that that this woman isn't worth having a conversation with, and her baby as well. So. The best advice about communicating pro-life is is always to go back to 
the, the truth of the gospel, at least for those who confess to be believers, because that has to be um, our commonality, has to be something we can agree on has to be the scriptures if you uh, consider yourself to be a believer. Come on now. Hey, you're preaching now. Preach, preacher. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm around, because I'm around you. Yeah. <laughs> I done got around you again, man. That's yeah. what it is. Your fault. <laughs> I'm over here typing, th- <laughs> typing things down. Hey, that's a great segue. I love that. So part of being pro-life is caring enough about people's souls and eternity to share the gospel with them. I love that. So tell tell us about how you've used your platform for sports to point people to Jesus. I mean, you are so clear about that, how you've used that gift and talent that the Lord's given you, that platform, to ultimately give him glory and point people to Jesus. You've been so effective about that. So could you just share with us about that? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, really, it's really what we all do when we talk about um, we are spiritual beings having a, a human experience. And when we think about our life in that way, which is which is difficult, I feel that miserably a lot of times I get so con- consumed with my work or what we're going to do next or this, that, and the other. But when we really consider the fact that, that, that life is very short, um, I just finished a 16-year NFL career and it went by so quickly that I felt like I was getting drafted yesterday. Mm. And when we consider the fact that we are spiritual beings having this human experience, we can't help but share the gospel when we have an opportunity to do so. If we are believers, we're simply being obedient. We're not doing anything special. We're not doing anything special. We're not, um, you know, reinventing the wheel. We we don't need to be to be uh, commended and celebrated for simply doing what Christ told us to do as His disciples mm. before He left Earth. Yes, yeah, good. And so wherever we are, you know, for me, my my occupation it was you know to play football. Um, so that's what I did uh, for other people, you know, whatever it is, it, your opportunities that God gives you to share the gospel, that's what you do. And so, um, you know, obviously with certain occupations, you may have a, a broader reach. Uh, the NFL has provided, you know, a platform to, to have a lot of eyeballs. Um, but I'm also reminded of the fact that it only takes one. Yep. And you look throughout Scripture, and it doesn't matter if you have you know, 12 disciples like Jesus or, or if you have uh, a certain amount of people following you, like, like the martyrs or you know, the, the apostles. They all spoke to one, and through that, the gospel spread. So the encouragement there is, if you feel like you're someone that's anonymous, and you're in the next generation, and you know, you're getting bullied at school <laughs> mm-hmm. or you're in the next gen and, and you're just starting off in your workplace as a young adult and you feel like you can't speak out um, about your faith. Do what you can. It only takes one. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're only responsible for who is in your sphere of influence. If, if, I'm, if I'm an athlete and I have, you know, thousands that are in my sphere of influence and I don't share with a hundred of them, you know, be in person or, or over Twitter or however we do stuff right now, but you are someone who is working a nine to five and and ten people hear your voice and you're, you know, through your life and through your words when you get an opportunity, you are sharing the gospel. And you've been more responsible than I have. Mm-hmm. Because because you were engaged in a way that I wasn't. So it's not necessarily about numbers. It is about, like I said before, um just being obedient to and to what God has commanded us to do and taking advantage of every opportunity to give us. 
Yeah, that's true. I, I agree with you so much. You know, uh, I was talking yesterday um, to Rob Wilton, and I know you know Rob, and, and Rob was uh, mm-hmm. the chaplain for uh, for you guys when you played for the Saints, and and uh, we were talking about um, ministering, being an athlete, ministering to other athletes. And he said, uh, and, and I love it, but he said, he goes, hey, if you haven't taken the time to invest in people relationally and build friendships with them, then don't start a Bible study because no one's going to come. No one's trusted you yet. You know, take time to build relationships, be a friend, serve each other, then start a Bible study or then invite people to walk through Scripture with you. And I thought, man, that was such great practical advice for an athlete that's listening, that's wanting to reach their team with the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back to authenticity. Yeah. And and people want to see those who are authentic. And authentic does not mean perfect. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Authentic does not mean perfect. Authentic does not mean perfect. Authentic means that I I preach something, I do, I give my best efforts through the Holy Spirit to attain the level that I'm preaching, to the lifestyle that I say is important. I try to I try to attain that, and when I fall short, I'm honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. The I love worst that. thing ever. The worst thing ever is for someone to to say they adhere to a certain standard, but habitually they live in the opposite direction of the standards that they say that they want to adhere to. And so being authentic is, is that first. And then second, it is about relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about it's about simple things, caring about somebody's life, um, being an encourager, uh, being a friend. Um, you know, those, those sorts of things go a long way to sharing the gospel because there's a relationship there. When something happens, when some, when a tragedy happens in someone's life, they call the people, number one, that they feel can, can comfort them, but also the people that they trust. And so you need to be so, someone that people feel is trustworthy. Yeah, that's good. Hey, if Benjamin Watson could go back in time, you had a time machine, and you'd go back in time, and you'd visit your teenage self, what would you tell the teenage version of Benjamin Watson? I would tell him it's okay, man. It's okay. Um, and and when I say that, I mean it's okay to make a mistake. Yeah. Just like what I'm talking about right now. Um, I, I became a believer at a fairly early age. Uh, so I, 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 I was in the word and reading and, and I knew scripture and, and I knew, and I knew how I, I should be living my life. But when I fell short, I beat myself up. I had a complex of perfectionism mm. and that followed me throughout my high school years. It led to a lot of guilt, shame. I was burdened a lot. It followed me into my professional life as an athlete. I can even practical things like making a mistake on a on a play in football. I yeah. I, I would give others grace, but I could never do that, or else I'd beat myself up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I was miserable for much of my early part of my career because I had no freedom. Um, scripture talks about there's now no no condemnation yeah. to those who are in Christ Jesus. And even though I was a believer, I wasn't I wasn't living in that freedom, and I wasn't living in that freedom in my professional life. And it, it, it took a some conversations, um, you know, with some very important people in my life, as well as some professionals, um, and just understanding that I had to let let stuff go, and it's okay. Um, you know, we, the beauty of 
of our life as believers is not that we ever attain our own righteousness. It's like we understand that on the front side, but then on the, once we get saved, we still think, okay, I need to attain this on my own. At least yeah. that's how I was living. So and true. it's still not through our own power. And so it's not until we let go of some things um, and let go of some of the trying that we really reach our full potential spiritually as well as in our occupation. And I found that to be true in my occupation. I, I feel like I got better when I when I took the burden of performance off. Yeah, that is such a good word, such a practical word. And I love that. That's true. We need the gospel, like you said, I'll go every day. Um, and not just when we surrender to Jesus, but every day of our life and that grace and forgiveness and mercy. I love that, my friend. Hey, Ben, tell us a little bit about your documentary that's coming out, because I got to see a, a preview of it at a private screening, and I cannot wait to see the rest of it, um, because even in that snippet, yeah. my eyes were open to so much. Um, so tell us about your documentary coming out. Well, uh, the documentary is called Divided Hearts of America, and uh, it's due out uh, at some point in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it, it is a documentary about the topic of abortion. In America, um, we go over through a series of interviews that I conducted with about 30 to 40 different personalities in faith, academia, uh, politics, um, culture, uh, just talking to people about their views, but also their experience medicine, um, just talking to people about how they view this topic um, and, and where we are as a nation if we don't deal with this seemed to be over the last couple of years a sort of ramping up around the topic of abortion between uh, conservative and liberal yeah. laws being enacted in places like New York, Alabama, Illinois, Georgia, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but this is something that since Roe v. Wade um, in the early 70s has been a part of American culture, even before that. Yeah. So my goal here was a kind of a journey of discovery. What's the truth about abortion? What really happens when someone has a medical or surgical abortion? How do we get here? Uh, what were the court cases? The, the what laws changed? What was the <clears throat> shift in culture? What contributed to us being to the, at a place right now where um, 800,000 or so uh, pre-born children are aborted every year? Mm-hmm. What, how did we get to this point? Um, where are we going? When things like this are a part of a nation and there's a certain thread that's going on, something that's very, very divisive. Um, what happens when we don't address those sorts of things? And so it, it's a doc- documentary, full-length documentary. So about, you know, I'm new to the film world, but it's about an, an hour and 20 minutes or so. Um, and it's been really, really fascinating. I'm really excited about it um, because really there's just, there's just so much, um, there's so much, so many different views, but there's a lot of hurt and pain on both sides. And throughout the film, um, most of the people I interview and talk to will consider themselves to be uh, pro-life. Some people are kind of on the fence. Mm-hmm. There were a couple people who uh, would say that they are they are pro-choice. They will identify that way. Um, but my my larger goal is really to to um, I, I guess to challenge people when it comes to empathy. Um, having their convictions, but how do we engage with those who don't believe like us? What are the steps we need to take? And also creating a sense of urgency on this most important topic. Yeah, and that's that's so much what I enjoyed about 
uh, the screening and the preview of it is just how uh, holistic the approach seemed to the topic. So I'm so excited to see the rest of it. Man, this has been so good, my friend. And listen, we always close with the same on mission charge. Uh, the heart behind this podcast is to see the next generation realize that they are also the now generation, not just the future of the church, but they are also the church right now, that they have a calling on their life now, a purpose on their life now, the great commission on their life now. Would you give us one closing thought on this? Um, the church is is the body of believers. And so whether you are you know, 99 or whether you are nine and you have passed from death into life, you are a part of the church. Mm. Uh, you have a vital role in the church. You have um, certain duties and certain abilities that God has given you that he hasn't given other people. The church is most complete and edified when you do your job. Um, and so as someone of the next generation, whether that's a teenager or young adult, the body of Christ needs you to to effectively do your job when it comes to encouraging other believers, whether older or younger, when it comes to engaging others who are in your age bracket or in your interest bracket um, for the gospel. Um, you're, you're vitally important. We don't know, honestly, if you are part of the church of the future because no one knows tomorrow. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Right now, as you're listening to this, um, possibly we could still be in, in quarantine. Possibly. Hopefully we're not. But possibly it could still be going on. None of us thought this was going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And so, you know, the church of the future is the church of right now. Um, that's the mission we're all on. It's one continuum, and we don't know when it changes. So um, just my thoughts is just to be, to be on mission, to be mission-minded at all times. Um, to to reset when you have to reset. Uh, for me, sometimes it's, you know, I haven't been in the Word in a couple of days and I realize, hmm, I need to get, I need to go eat. And then you go back and eat. <laughs> and then that resets you. That resets you. It gives you more energy. It gives you more focus. So um, the, the church of the next generation is, is indeed the now generation. And, you know, we all need each other, including you. Yeah. So if you're 99 or nine and you have the Holy Spirit of the Lord, you're a part of the body of Christ now. See, there you go preaching again, man. <laughs> Reverend Watson, man. man I love it. Because I got around you, though. I'm a, it's because I'm around you. Yeah, I'm I love it, man. You, so good. Dude, I'm telling you, I had a great time with you. It's all, uh, you, you get me going, man. You Come got up on. there and start. Hey, hey, for those of y'all that don't know, he got there speaking, speaking, and then I was like, man, I got to get up here and I got to. I got a preacher or something because, <laughs> dude, uh, he laid it down up there. Oh, man. Well, all glory to God. This has been so good, my friends. So practical, so helpful, so encouraging. Thank you so much for your time. And, friends, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Next Gen Mission podcast. If you have questions on reaching the next generation, please email us at evangelism at nam.net, N-A-M-B.net. We'll try to address those on a future podcast. And also don't forget to check out the documentary, Divided Hearts of America, uh, releasing sometime in the fall of 2020. And have a great rest of your day and tell somebody about Jesus.